Star Tribune's Prep Sports Podcast has been brought to you by France and Bank and Trust. It's the Star Tribune Talking Preps Podcast. I'm David Levake. Excited to be joined once again, virtually, of course, by Jim Paulson. How are you, Jim? Doing well. That's good. Virtually. That's good. We're, on, we're on the right side of zero lately. I know it's a very Minnesota thing to do is start with the weather, but it's worth mentioning here. It's been been a tough stretch and uh we're, we're working our way out man now i gotta ask you real quick before we get started do you feel is it, is it schadenfreude or do you feel empathy and, and sympathy for the people in texas and the people down south that are dealing with this i'm trying to I'm, i feel like i'm going back and forth sometimes i'm watching them and thinking well you know they've made fun of minnesotans living in the cold for so long now they get to see what it's like but then on the other hand you know they're not prepared for it and it just really really hits them so much harder i feel awful when i hear how many people are without heat and with the rolling power and things like that do you feel the same way that you kind of go back and forth on how you should feel about this i think it goes to the degree pun intended of the situation and i think they're really getting hit this isn't oh my goodness it's 35 where's my coat you know that's mockable this this yep. one this is a this is a deadly situation and it's legit so i, I yeah I, I feel bad for them yeah, yeah, it's hard not to, you know. I feel guilty when I start to feel that that sense of, well, see, now here's what we go through, you taste of our medicine. But I, <laughs> I, I do feel that once in a while. We also can't get as haughty as we used to either. We're, we're getting a little softer in terms of, you know, it used to be, you, you know, you didn't cancel school, you kept school going, and you see who showed up, and they kind of had fun with whoever made it. Now they just, they just shut everything down all the time, and it's just – so we, we, we can't, we got to come down a little bit from our perch when it comes to braving the elements. Okay. <laughs> Moving right along. Well, you know, uh, a lot of, a lot of sports to get to a lot of a high profile basketball game earlier this week. I thought a, a telling uh, boys hockey game last night. Uh, you had a great article about a, a very uh, hot topic with uh, masks and, and you put the focus on basketball. Uh, where do we begin? Well, you know, let's talk a little hockey. We haven't talked much, talked much hockey this, this year. What you had some interest in talking about a, a big game on Tuesday night? Yeah, we had uh, Benilde Margaret at Eden Prairie, and um, on the boys' side, and uh, going in, Eden Prairie was two. I uh, believe Benilde. Uh, sorry, my I have to the, the troubles of virtual meetings. I have to re- refresh a window here. Benilde St. Margaret's was two, Eden Prairie was three heading into the game. And uh, Eden Prairie took them apart, four to one. And I think really left no doubt that the two best teams in boys hockey, by a probably, I would say a considerable margin, are Maple Grove, which is num- who's number one, and now Eden Prairie uh, firmly at number two. I think we'll have eight section champions in, in double A, and every team that gets to the tournament has a chance. But I do feel that uh, all things are pointing toward a, a Maple Grove Eden Prairie championship on Saturday night in the uh, in the boys hockey tournament. And uh, didn't Eden Prairie have to play uh, a good portion of the game without one of their star forwards? Yeah, Jackson Blake. I took a hard check along the boards, and he was out for a period of time and came back, which is good for everybody Eden Prairie, especially, but I think all of high school hockey in general. Um, and yeah, he's, he makes them, he's, he's really big part of what makes them tick. You know, he's, he's committed to North Dakota. You've got a, a yet another middle stat still coming through. 
Uh, Luke, defenseman, he's committed to Minnesota. You got Mason Langenbrunner on the blue line. He's committed to uh, Harvard. And then uh, Drew Holt and, and Carter Batchelder. I, I feel like Carter's committed to Colorado College. I don't have that in front of me, but they've got a lot of depth of, of skill. Uh, they're they're two-time uh, runners-up at the, at the Class AA state tournament. They, it looks like the, all the pieces are there and then some to, to, be, to be there at the end once again. They're, they're a really nice team. And you wrote, uh, was it last week, I believe, on uh, Maple Grove. That's a team that's just lighting it up. Very deep, very deep. And, uh, yeah, they, they're putting big time people. The one thing I'll say, there's no fault of Maple Grove, and, and I think this is a, a larger issue across sports, across genders. When you condensed the season and when you went in with a goal of keeping things a bit more regional, um, you really took away the, the ability to test yourself as much as you'd like to in a non-conference setting. I mean, if you look at Maple Grove, beating Armstrong Cooper 9-2 and Dodge County 12-1 and Spring Lake Park 19-2, okay, very sexy numbers goals-wise. That really doesn't mean anything. It really doesn't mean much. And you look at the rest of their schedule – it's, it's strictly the Northwest Suburban Conference, which is a, a solid, competent hockey conference, but it's not the knockdown drag out that the Lake Conference is. And that's what Eden Prairie has going for it, right? In its own conference, they're going to be tested several times. Um, you know, and, and then, you know, you look at Benilde St. Margaret, you know, I, who I'm not, you know, kicking dirt on their grave here. I mean, they're, they're still a very good team and they're still a favorite to come out of their section. Uh, but now you look at where they're headed schedule-wise, and they're going to see Edina, Hill Murray, St. Thomas Academy, YZ. Their schedule is going to get much tougher than what they've seen in the Metro West uh, so far. So I think they could be trending in the right way schedule-wise. I don't like the Maple Grove schedule. They're going to have to find intrinsic motivation and, and, and really sweat the details and, and get better in practice because – to get where they want to go, there aren't going to be any 19 to one games anymore. You know, and they know that. And, and, and hopefully the kids are, are, are taking all of their lopsided results with a grain of salt because Eden Prairie and, and these other ones definitely more, more opportunity to be tested. That's, and that's going to benefit them down the road. You know, there is always the argument that, you know, the big scores, people look at that and they say, well, it was the competition up to the level of, of what it is elsewhere. And that's exactly what you're talking about. Um, but there's always the answer to that is that they're taking care of business exactly the way they're supposed to. If they're good, that good, okay. and they're playing a level of competition, this isn't quite up to uh, their level. They're beating them in a manner that they should be beating them. I mean, you talked about 19 to two over, uh, over Spring Lake Park and back-to-back games, they had 10 goals, uh, 10 goals against yeah. nine goals, 19 goals against Spring Lake Park. You know, they had, like I said, nine, eight goals against Elk River, 12 goals against Dodge County, nine against Centennial, eight against Blaine. And those are not, programs to sneeze at so you know they are taking care of business they probably yeah if you're, if you're a really good team and you got to give them yeah. yeah just historically i mean the 1983 hill murray state championship team they they didn't play anybody they played this the the, the what was left the st paul city conference even then in hockey and they put up video game numbers and they ended up being state champions uh 2004 centennial they were blowing the hell out of uh Oh, what was it back then? The North Suburban Conference? Would that be right? Yeah, I think in so. About yeah. 2004, the North Suburban. 
and they destroyed all those guys. And then they went on to win a state championship. So yeah, maybe the Twin Cities uh, suburban. I think about it might have been that. But. Yeah, maybe. I feel like I bet you it's North. But in, in any case, uh, I, I digress, as they say. Uh, but you can get there from here, even if you're beating the hell out of people. So yeah, it's it doesn't not it doesn't keep Maple Grove. I mean, they're clearly the number one team. Uh, but yeah, it'll be it'll be good to see how it plays out. And and uh, thank goodness we have a state tournament to worry about. That's that's the number one thing. <laughs> Wasn't that that Centennial team the one that had the goalie? I think it was Greg Amundsen that pitched three straight shutouts in the in the tournament. That would be Greg Stutz. What's that? Stutz. Greg Stutz, the who the high school league recognized it as, as its all-time goaltender and then spelled his name wrong on the jumbo trunks. <laughs> Two G's, that's okay. three G's. That's okay. Yeah. There's two. It's all about What a terrific honor for those kids. Um, yeah. High school league a little bit in that one. I'm, I'm guessing Greg Stutz has got trophies galore, and I'm guessing a lot of them have are missing a G in his first name. So I guess he's probably used to it by now. We talked about um, the uh, kind of the uh, South Metro, North Metro, and it's more like the Southwest Metro, North Metro, um, the dichotomy that we have there in boys hockey. It's also looking kind of the same in girls hockey, at least at the top. I mean, as much as we're looking at in Eden Prairie, and Maple Grove as, a, as the two top teams in boys hockey at this point. We got a North team in Andover and a Southwest Metro team in Edina that are, are possibly heading for another uh, showdown in girls hockey. Yeah, I'll take Minnetonka to upset that apple cart. I think that the, the other two are using up all the glory, and Minnetonka is sitting there with a tr- tremendous goaltender and a tremendous defender, and, uh, and Rory uh, Gilday and they got some scorers. Tracy Cassano, the coach, she knows what to do. She's, you know. Oh, well, they she, did get beat by Benel the other day. Minnetonka did. Well, yeah, yeah, that's fine. That's fine. But again, that's that's a good that's a good loss if we can put the quotes around good. Um, I, I think I think hey, go ahead, use up all the glory. We'll just keep churning away. Hey, Minnetonka, they were right there with Andover in the state semifinals last year. They're, you know, they're they're going to be uh, they're going to be someone to be, be, be reckoned with when the time comes. You know, but you know, we talk about another team putting up amazing numbers in uh, Maple Grove. You look at the numbers in Andover girls have been putting up. I think, no, ridiculous. I'm not mistaken, they have, they've only given up, what, um, two goals all season? Yeah, yeah it's, it's just ridiculous. I know and they're, they're, they're playing really well. They got a good thing going. I think I had mentioned in, in, the, in Monday's paper that, that the kudos to, uh, I think her name is uh, Maddie Christian from um, Elk River. They've uh, the only two goals that uh, Andover's given up all season have been in two games against uh, Elk River, and both <laughs> Maddie Christian scored that goal. So she she's the only person that can that can dent that uh, rock solid deep back line of uh, of Andover. So and they uh, don't have everybody that they could. They, they had a girl Madison Kaiser left the program. She's on the JV at Holy Family. She sat out the year because uh, she transferred. She's going to Minnesota. They they would have been they could even have her, but I don't know exactly what happened and you know why you would willingly throw away a year to transfer. But you know, hopefully she's happier and everybody you know gets what they need. But they, I mean, yeah, they're they're not even what you would call at full strength as far as the talent that they had from last year. Uh, so anyway, I mean, and obviously, uh, I'll do respect to the uh, the other teams. Nothing's been determined yet. And, uh, you know, maybe we're providing a little bulletin motivation <laughs> for some of these teams when we've already you know, anointed the two finalists. Yeah, uh, yeah. Well, that's all right. And hey, we're looking we, from afar. So. 
yeah, yeah hey, if it fires some people up, hey, more power to them. There's, there's a little ways to go yet. Teams are going to get better. Teams are going to deal with injuries. Teams are going to shuffle lines. Uh, so we're not, we're, not, uh, we're not done yet by a long shot. And uh, we'll, we'll see what the what the kids and the coaches come up with here as we keep going. And don't forget, COVID still lingers. There's still games and teams that I'm still seeing postponements out there across different sports. Um, True so enough. you know that that's always lingering out there. You don't know how that's going to crop up. I was going to be worried about that. Um, Speaking of, speaking of the Rona, uh, you, you had a story. You, I, I did this in the fall on, on football officials. You did the, the winter officials version of the story, and you talked to some basketball coaches about uh, being officials in this environment. And, and I thought it covered a lot of good ground. And, and uh, what, what's I, I imagine you've gotten quite a bit of feedback from it. And, and what are you hearing? Well, for, there's, there's an awful lot. They, the high school league, and uh, worked with these officials organizations to try to uh, adapt rules to fit COVID protocols. Now, obviously, the one that everybody notices, you know, the 800-pound gorilla of the COVID protocols is the mask issue. And you just can't ignore that. Um, and it is the biggest adaptation, uh, adaptation that kids have to make and that officials have to make. Um, there are plenty of photos you see out there of kids whose masks are not being worn properly. And it tends to rub some people the wrong way. You know, the oh, yeah. A lot of whistleblowers out there. Exactly. You know, I, I don't know why it offends people so much. They're not playing. It's not affecting them one way or the other. And, uh, but it's just a matter of you know, trying to hold someone else accountable for the behavior. And I'm, it's kind of our national pastime these days. Um, but that does happen. But the officials talked about it. And I talked to Jason Nickleby, the director of officiating at the high school league. You know, and, and we talked about the fact that a lot of these masks come down. It's an imperfect world. You know, um, they you can see them slide down in the middle of a game. Things get sweaty. They're ill-fitting sometimes. You know, you you, you do a, a pump fake or, you know, go up for a rebound and a, and a bunch of bodies collide. Each other masks come down. Uh, officials don't want to be mask police. They're not out there, you know, blowing whistles and stopping the game and, you know, riding herd on these guys. They are trying to work with the players. And part of it is, you know, when they get to a dead ball situation, they'll tell the kids, uh, they'll say, hey, mask up, you know, oh, kid pulls it up, doesn't pull it up far enough, they'll say, come over the nose. And for the most part, they say that the kids have been very respectful and very, very responsive. And like I said, and Jason Nickleby had pointed out that we're asking kids to do something that they've never done before, and they've only been asked to do, for, do it for a little more than a month, probably about a month and a half now that since we've been back and in, in, uh, practicing and playing. Um, and you, know, you can't expect perfection. You know, uh, and you're gonna they're doing the best they can and, and then, then there's a lot more people that are are accommodating that that rule now than they used to and a lot more people are concerned about it so it's it's coming along pretty well um the officials i talked to said very few of them have had to ever remove a player from a game and you know just to get them to mask up uh, one told me that the reason he had to remove one player once and it was because the kid's mask was ill-fitting and he got a new mask on the, that was better and he came back into the game and everything was fine. So yeah, I, I think people need to calm down a little bit when they see these kids uh, not wearing their masks properly. It's going to happen. It's, it's the uh, level of um, people, kids accommodating those requests and doing it properly is pretty great. Um, but with the officials, they said there's other issues. One of the big problems, if you've been to a basketball game or a hockey game or anything, 
as how quiet these venues are with no fans in the stands. Yeah, they're glorified JV games from a, a atmosphere standpoint. Yeah, there's not much being there's not much juice in the building. That's for sure. One one official told me positive aspect to that is when people can be heard when their voices are so loud and they <laughs> they tend not to be quite as uh, vociferous and, and angry and their their vitriol. You know what I mean? They're not. They know that if they yell something that's offensive. It's all going to, all eyes are going to go to them and they don't know what's going to stand out. So that's a, a positive um, effect of this. But there's a lack of communication. You can't talk to the kids quite as much. You don't talk to the coaches quite as much. You, you don't get a locker room. So you, you can't be on the same page with private conversations. That's an issue for, uh, for officials and, and any sorts of communication. So then there's protocols that officials have to go through on limiting contact with players. I'm not handing the ball, for example, to a player in an inbounds or on a, on a free throw. They have to bounce it to them. A lot of little things that the officials are making, uh, are making, are accommodating or making uh, changes to affect um, how they officiate the game to limit the spread of COVID. The inbound protocol is interesting because there's the referee said, let's keep this going. I like this better. I mean, so it's one of those <laughs> yep. things that, you know, you can make these discoveries during this time as you're making these adjustments. You can make also make discoveries about things you can stop doing once there aren't restrictions and just realize, hey, it's a much more efficient if we do it this way. And so, you know, those are the unintended, you know, those are the things that can happen that, that end up being positive. You know, and from the numbers that I gathered from the three top basketball officiating uh, uh, officials organizations in the metro area, there's more than 100 officials of well more than 100 officials that have opted out due to COVID this year. So these officials are also, it, it's important that they have these protocols, that they have these guidelines so that they feel safe. And, you know, some of them weren't sure that they were going to come back and they, they decided to do though. Um, so these those changes have really helped these officials feel like they're doing the job they want to do in a safe environment. Matter of fact, one official said, I feel safer now than if I go to the grocery store and, and I can see what he's talking about. You know, they, they've, it can be a free-for-all when you go into a local big box or a grocery store, but on, on the court, I think they've done an awful lot to uh, uh, limit um, any sort of COVID type of uh, contact. I'd like to point out something. So in the NFL, maybe you remember the official's name, Ed Hockley. Ed Hockley oh, yes. seemed to have a lot of big games. Ed Hockley, we always said, now Ed took care of himself, but Ed always wore a shirt about two sizes too small, just to make oh, yeah. sure we knew that he took care of himself. All right, He was showing off the guns. Oh, yeah. So then I look at Jeff Wheeler's photos, which I'm glad that he had some behind the scenes with, with this package and, and, and really did a nice job of illustrating it. These guys are all shopping at the Ed Hockley Titan Fit Store. Okay. <laughs> it's, it's unbelievable. Every shirt is, uh, you talk about ill-fitting masks. These are not ill-fitting shirts. These are snug-fitting shirts. I mean, I see well, ribs you know, in one of these pictures, you know. <laughs> one, you know, one of the officials said he's, he's officiating five, six times a week, and you're putting on mileage when you're officiating a game. You're not. Oh yeah. Still, you're up running and up and down, down the court. Yeah, they're getting they're they're, they're getting their workouts and they're doing it uh, uh, every night. So I'm not surprised that these guys are in far better shape than I am. I watch yeah. a game. You know, I'm not moving. You know, <laughs> I get writer's cramp once in a while, but that's about it. You mentioned. Um, well, I, I had a just smooth transition there that. I've, blown it right out of the water so let's just move on basketball you had a nice uh nice national audience for a, a minnehaha versus stewartville game 
it wasn't supposed to start this way, uh, but it, but it ended up, this is the matchup we got. And uh, how do we think we showcased some of the better basketball that we play here in Minnesota? Uh, everybody knows about Chet Holmgren. And he had a typical Chet Holmgren game, 18 points, eight boards, numerous, no blocks, intimidations. He patrolling the lane um, for many ha-ha. Uh, Will Shetter, the uh, big man for Stewartville, is considered the number two recruit in the state. Headed to Michigan, he's six nine. He had an okay game, but I mean, you know, I don't. It's the first time I think we've seen him go up against a home good. And doing it on national television that can be difficult. He wasn't fantastic. He was good. He wasn't fantastic. Minnehaha had its cast of great supporting players: Prince Allegby, Davis, Mercy Miller, um, and but the kid that really stood out for Stewartville was his guard, Nolan Steer, who I think he led all players at 24 points. He was moving up and down the court. He was fast. He was moving the ball. I think he had a block or two. He was everywhere. So if anybody really increased their stock, it was uh, the Sturyville guard, Nolan Steer. There's um, a lot of talk that uh, college coaches really stood up and took notice when they saw him play that game. And it's a nice little showcase for Minnesota basketball. It really is. That uh, We had two Minnesota teams. Minnehaha was supposed to play a team from Houston High School in Tennessee. I believe it's somewhere outside Memphis. They couldn't make it here because they had, uh, and this is Shaden Freud. They had like about an inch and a half of snow, and they shut down the airport. <laughs> <laughs> so, but uh, um, yeah, it, it, it was it was a nice a nice showcase for Minnesota basketball, and, and seeing two of the top kids in the state go at each other. It was it was uh, it was a good night for basketball. That's good. That's good. I like it. Do we do we empty the bag for this week? I think so. I think that's all I got. Good. Well, it was, it was good conversation as always. Thanks for the insight. And thanks to all of you for listening. Uh, stay safe out there and we'll be back next week uh, with more talking preps.